This morning we are continuing our series, this supernatural series, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and we're almost through. We have a couple weeks left until uh, we get really here into our fall series, and so you've done a good job. Have you learned anything? I have. Every week I feel like I'm just getting wrecked, (laughs) which probably means the Lord is up to something. Will you pray with me as we ask the Lord to instruct us this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this morning. We're grateful for the privilege we have to gather, to gather in this place, the freedom that's been given us to do so, and the freedom that is found in Christ. Free from our past, free from our sin, free to be what you desire for us to be, only by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask this morning as we open your word that you would meet with us, that you would um, allow our minds to be alert, our ears to be attentive, that we may run our lives through your word, as your word is the standard. And Lord, we ask that your spirit uh, would do a work in our lives, that we would leave change, that we would leave considering our lives and what you have for us, what ought be and what ought not be, and that we'd be free to follow you. Lord, our expectation is that you would instruct us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our series. And we've taken time each week to remember, to reflect that this letter was written by a person who helped plant a church in Galatia. The letter was written by a gentleman named Paul who was a church planner, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he proclaimed the gospel. People said yes to the gospel, and their lives were transformed. However, this letter was written to a people that had some confusion. For those that had said yes to Jesus Christ, there were some that believed that since Christ was now their Savior, they could live as they pleased, as if it didn't matter. And so this apostle had to instruct them that how you live matters because it matters to God. And there was also a group of people that had proclaimed Christ. They said yes to Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they felt like in order to maintain that relationship with Jesus, they had to make sure they had to follow all the rules, all the old rules, and once, once they would make up themselves. And if they were to step out of tune with the rule, they thought they had stepped out of tune with God as if God was done with them. And so the apostle, the pastor here, had to instruct them that you can't fall out of tune with God. You accepted Christ by faith, and therefore you would live by faith, not by your own might. And so then we come to our scriptures here in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And this has, I think, been the starting point each week, just to give us an idea of the context. So Paul writes, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are conflict with each other, so you do, that you do not do what you want. Have you experienced this before? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The heaven-bound people are people that have accepted Christ by faith, that his work was enough. And for those that have accepted Christ by faith, they have a desire not to live, have a pattern of living like this pattern. That's what Paul is saying. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's live a life worthy of the calling. Let's be in tune. Let's walk in tune. Let's walk in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit is about these things. 
This is what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. These characteristics are a byproduct, a fruit of nearness and dearness with the Lord. And so when we look at the life of a believer that's in tune with the Spirit, these are the things that we see. And who can use more of these? And the truth is about this list is that none of these are possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Everything else that we would attempt to try to mimic these characteristics would be fake fruit, as we've come to learn. And so this morning, we're focusing on supernatural gentleness. It's the eighth characteristic in the list. Gentleness is translated as meekness in the king's language. Anybody have a King James Version with them? You probably saw the word meekness. However, it's translated as gentleness in most of the newer English translations. So the Greek word, learning some Greek this morning, the Greek word prautes, you can say it, prautes, is found in them all. It's the same word found in all the English translations. That's the Greek word. And some have translated it gentleness, some have translated it meekness. The difficulty is that the English language has changed since the days of the king. Did you know that? We don't say the same things. Cool doesn't mean temperature anymore, right? I don't even know if people even use cool anymore. Things have changed since the time of Shakespeare. Dost thou. The common dictionary definition of meekness, then, as as it's used today, reads uh, deficient in spirit and courage. That's not even close to the meaning of the Greek word. So we're already off base. Webster's Collegiate Dictionary states that meekness is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. And that's a little bit closer, but the Greek understanding is actually more positive. See, meekness is a humble attitude that expresses itself in the patient endurance of and with others. Does anybody really bother you? And gentleness then implies leniency. So this morning I'm going to use the words interchangeably. But to get a better idea of this word as the Greeks would understand it, Greeks oftentimes would use word pictures to help remind them or to showcase the meaning of of a word. They'd have some kind of action or some kind of story in mind when they were thinking about the words. And so the Greeks used this word in describing animals that were powerful yet tamed and under control. My first experience at a petting zoo was when I was in elementary school. And I've shared with Southbridge several times about I don't really have a great relationship with animals. I don't know if they can be trusted, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but this was my uh, first experience at a petting zoo, and we were supposed to go ride horses and then pet other animals. And at this uh, petting zoo, I must have been under third grade because I can remember the friends that I went with, and I was only friends with them in third grade. And um, Laura Bethel and I were going uh, to this petting zoo because she was my one friend I think I had in third grade at this time. And at this petting zoo, there was pigs and geese and all these different things, chickens, and then there was this goat. And I remember walking to go by the goat and asking the people that were in charge, like, is it safe? Is everything safe? Because safety is a big deal for me. For others, it's not, but for me, it is. And the, the farmers and the people said, sure, I mean, it is a petting zoo, and there's elementary kids around. And uh, so I went to go pet the goat and um, wasn't that impressed, and the goat wasn't impressed with me. And I remember turning from the goat and then getting ready to get in line for the horses, but looking back at the goat, and the goat had like this look in it, its eyes. And uh, I remember thinking when I saw the look, like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and surely at that moment, I took a step back, and the goat rushed me and broke the rope that it was upon and butted me right in the head with its head. <laughs> that was the beginning of my issue with animals. I just realized it this week. I didn't even go to counseling for that. I go to that for other stuff. Yeah, it was rough. It was gruff. I think someone should go back and confront the animal that he doesn't have priutes. 
So he had some power. Goats are known to butt. And this goat had some power. And you would think that under control means like strapped down. They has something a bit in the mouth and under control, but some animals aren't doing that willingly. Some are just being held for a time and waiting for a third grade kid to hit. <laughs> but animals have power. We know this. We've experienced this. You can see this on TV. Anybody seen Shark Week? It's amazing. There is power, but not all animals have a power under control. So we know this, that meekness is not weakness, that meekness is power under control. And that's how you can remember this word. Meekness is power under control, and that's the first point, just a definition. Meekness is found when power is willingly, I would add, under control. Because some of us are held against our own wills. There's people in prison that are held against their wills. They don't desire to be held. We have just recently come home with uh, our baby boy, Titus, from Russia. We completed an adoption. We've been home for a few weeks. And I can tell that for him, being held is not normal. And so we hit, there's a game. At some point, when he comes to us, he wants to hug the hug on his terms, then run away. And sometimes, guess what? I hug him. I hold him. And he gets angry. And he's strong, like Russian strong. <laughs> and I'm me. And he fights. I mean, he's got muscles down his back. It's like a tortoise shell on his back. This, this kid's got muscles, and I need to start training. <laughs> but meekness would be a willingness to be under control, not someone that's being suppressed. I desire would be, I have a desire that my internal power, my mental fortitude, all that I am, my being inside my soul is under control. And next week we'll look at self-control, which has the word control in it, but I think they're linked. If meekness might be like an internal control and selfness is an external control, our actions. And we'll look a little bit at that next week. The writer of Proverbs says this, that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than those who capture a city. That's Proverbs 16.32. In contrast, the individual who's not gentle is likened to a city that's broken into and without walls. Proverbs 25.28. The Greek lexicon would include the meanings of humility, courtesy, and considerateness. It is the spirit-given ability to control the passionate part of our nature. Does anybody have that? If you're living, you do. So meekness is not the opposite of courage. It takes courage to be meek in this world. So meekness is most clearly demonstrated, most obviously demonstrated when we're in conflict with other people. If we're insecure, we usually become belligerent, we fight, we try to tear down others, we become violent, we argue with others to win for our ego. We are usually not gentle or humble or meek. This is why meekness, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It has to be given, it has to be infused. See, from meekness comes a courtesy to others, the ability to rebuke others without anger. We, we can argue with tolerance. That's really difficult to do in this time, isn't it? And who's calling the shots for each other and calling each other's motives? And you're not intolerant, I'm tolerant, tolerant. Who's tolerant? We can treat others with no resentment. We can be angry and do not sin, the scriptures say. We can be passionate. Meekness has passion. But it is always a servant. Gentleness is always a servant to others. It is always submissive to God's standard of truth. So the first point really about meekness is a definition, that meekness is a power that's willingly under control. Another point to consider then is that this, point two, meekness is found in the character of God. So the very thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, when he wants to bring out meekness in your life, it's also the very thing that's found in God himself. And that's so encouraging to know. Like the scriptures call us to things that are actually found in God. So husbands, he calls you to love your wives as Christ loves the church. It's, he's calling you to do something that's expected of himself. Wives, he calls you to be a helper. He calls himself a helper. 
He doesn't ask us to do of anything that isn't also found in his character. And meekness is found in him. The scriptures say this about God the Father in Psalm 45, verse 4. Can we show that? In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth. Humility, that could be the word there, and righteousness. Let your right hand display your awesome deeds. Right hand means power in the Old Testament. God has power, and it's willingly, by his own accord, under control. And he exhibits his power and demonstrates his power and how he works according to his sovereignty under control. We do not have a reckless Savior. Aren't you grateful? I mean, the world is spinning, and it seems like it's spinning out of control, doesn't it? With all the sin in the world, and the Lord sees us in his mindfulness, and he appoints his time, he appoints his power at the right time under control. He is engaged in this world. We do not have a passive God. He is a father of meekness, humility, considerate gentleness. Why doesn't he just say, that's it? I'm done. I'm done with the world. Gone. A thought, a blip, a half second. How long would it take him? How long would it take him to create it? Meekness is a part of God's character. So if meekness is a character of God, then it's also found in Christ, who is himself God. That's what we believe at Southbridge. Jesus says this, learn from me, for I am gentle, meek, and I am humble in heart. This is Matthew chapter 11. Did you know that verse? Is that in your heart? Jesus says, learn from me, I am gentle, and I am humble in heart. See, when some consider Jesus being meek and mild, whenever I think of the word mild, I always think of salsa, so now I'm hungry. Meek and mild, they think of passivity. And there is a movement of that among, in Christendom. The idea of being passive, and not being involved, and not being active, and standing by, and we don't need any help in that. People think of Jesus being weak and downcast, a friend of sinners, a man of sorrows. And we see art that reflects that, don't we? Hands down, face turned down. The truth is that Jesus showed true gentleness both in the midst of conflict and in the midst of his popularity. There was a time that people demanded that he become king. He said no, and he said, people don't tell anybody about me. He's undoing their plan to keep on the Father's plan. That's meekness. His awareness of his power enabled him to be gentle to those in need. I remember reading the scripture of the person that was found in sin. This woman was found in sin. And and Jesus says that even though your sins are many, he acknowledges the truth, doesn't hide from the truth. And there should be a punishment for those that are outside of Christ to their sin. Although your sins are many, you are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That's meekness. His gentleness brought forth righteousness in others. And it will bring forth justice in the earth in time. He gently takes the sinner and makes him whole. That's meekness. That's gentleness. I want to look at a scripture together, just one verse. And we're going to be looking at lots of scriptures that just mention this word, gentleness or meekness. This is of Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, that is Jesus Christ, Peter is speaking of, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges justly. Jesus went to his father. I can remember growing up, I grew up in the local church, and my dad um, was involved with the music. Uh, my whole life he was involved with music. He was a worship pastor, a youth pastor. Now he's a senior pastor at a church in Michigan, still involved with the music. And uh, we grew up in a church where they passed the plates, and when, pass, when, the plates were being pla- when the plates were being passed, there always had to be music. They called it special music, but it happened every week, so it wasn't that special. We knew it was coming. 
But I can remember as a child, I came to know Christ when I was seven. I recognized my need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ was indeed that Savior. I submitted my life to him, and I, the Spirit began a sensitivity in me. But I can remember that when my dad would sing special music, it would rock my world. And my dad used to sing this song, and it's a song that even as a child, I think, reminded me or showcased to me a little bit of the Lord's gentleness. And I'd like to read some lyrics for you if I can get through it. Is that okay? It's a song called The Day He Wore My Crown. Do you know this one? I'm going to read all the lyrics for you. Thinking about Christ's meekness. The city was Jerusalem. The time was long ago. The people called him Jesus. The crime was the love he showed. And I'm the one to blame. I caused all the pain. He gave himself the day he wore my crown. He brought me love that he could only give. I brought him a cause to cry. And though he taught me how to live, I taught him how to die. And I'm the one to blame. I caused all the pain. He gave myself the day he wore my crown. And this is the part right here that even as a child would be an example to me of something unique of the character of Christ. Do you know this song? He could have called his holy father and said, take me away, please take me away. He could have said, I'm not guilty and I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to pay. And he could have, right? But he walked right through the gate and then up on a hill. And as he fell beneath the weight, he cried, Father, not my will. And I'm the one to blame. I caused all his pain. He gave himself the day he wore my crown. Christ is on the cross and people are saying threats of him, mocking him. And he is the creator of the world. There was an old hymn, maybe you grew up singing this one, 10,000 angels, here's the chorus. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. That's meekness. Power willingly under control. I'm done. I'm not going to do this. I didn't do anything wrong. See, this is Jason talking. This is what I would do. I don't take the punishment for something I didn't do, and I don't let my friends do that either. So then if I'm there, I'm angry at Jesus' friends for allowing this to happen. I'm angry at the people that are calling him to be crucified. I'm angry at the people that are crucifying him. And I'm angry with Christ because you're taking on something that you don't deserve, that don't have to take on. That's meekness. And that shows that I don't have it. <laughs> See, I operate on right, wrong. I operate in fair, unfair, just, unjust. That's my paradigm. But guess what? God rocks that paradigm because Christ died and paid the penalty for sins he didn't commit. He's above that, isn't he? Love demands such a thing. And love is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. And all these are connected. Have you noticed that? Each one of these things are connected. Meekness is found in God. And found in the demonstration of Christ's love. Jesus Christ defended God's glory and ultimately gave himself as a sacrifice to others. Jesus didn't lash back when criticized or slandered or treated unjustly, but he did respond fittingly and firmly when God's honor was profaned. And his truth was perverted or neglected. See, Jesus wasn't passive, and you have to read your scriptures to have such an insight. He always communicated the truth. But he didn't look to his own ego. He didn't defend himself ever. But he defends his father. So gentleness or meekness includes the idea that we don't care about what happens to our honor as much as what happens to God's honor and what happens to others. Do you see that in Jesus? See, we don't demonstrate meekness when we're in an argument with someone when we, all we care about is them thinking that we're right. <laughs> Guilty. Jesus says this of meekness, and we'll transition to a third point and the last point. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. 
It's stated in the greatest sermon ever told, the Sermon on the Mount. I've been in the place that he's preached it. (laughs) Blessed are, or truly happy are, the meek. And what's the promise? For they will inherit the earth. See, the reality of this kind of meekness, and this meekness is going to be found in those that are truly in Christ. It will be developed at God's pace. The truth about it is that it's unattainable by human effort, and that's why it's from the Spirit of God. The best effort our flesh can come up with in attempting meekness is false modesty or self-depreciation. That's the best we can do, and that's fake fruit. We've been taking time to consider the last few weeks of what the fake fruit of a true fruit is. And so gentleness is never false modesty or self-depreciation. It's not a refusal to stand for anything. Meekness is not living in fear of others or an unwillingness to humbly stand for the truth. That's passive selfishness. But it's hard to detect that in our time because we live in a time and culture, including in the Christian culture, where that would be praised. Because the Proverbs say that the person that doesn't speak much is probably a wise person. We can use the scriptures to bend and torque the scriptures to justify why we don't get involved, why we don't stand up for the truth, why we don't speak up. But that's passive selfishness. And others may applaud it and admire it, but it's not God's desire for those that are found in Christ Jesus. Here's a couple of examples of, of the fake fruit of meekness. My friend Randy Inez plays the bass, plays every instrument from one time or another in our band. He played the bass this morning, and this guy's crazy good. And I'm trying to play bass, and I'm embarrassed to play around him. But he's not. He wants to help, okay, because he's like that, and I'm insecure like me. But if you were to go up to Randy and say, Randy, that was awesome bass work today. That was tasty. And he were to say this, well, my hands kind of hurt. It wasn't really that good. That, he, that means he's saying that you're lying. To say that something is not true when it's true, that's false meekness. That was a great solo. We've got people in our church that have beautiful voices. And I go to them and say, that's an amazing solo. Thank you for singing that. That really blessed my heart. No, well, my throat's kind of scratchy today. And so, you know, that's false. That's false meekness. And what has come over time to be appreciated as someone acting like that, because we don't want anyone to try to get glory for themselves. It's not taking glory for yourself if you agree. You're saying, thank you. I'm glad I could play today. I'm glad for the opportunity to make much of Jesus through song. Another example of false meekness would be people arguing about truth claims and having a debate with people about what is true. And then you're asked to give your view in front of a group or your friends. And your response is simply, because you think you're taking the high road, can't we all just get along? Hmm, think about that for a minute. <laughs> Jason, we're going to be talking about, if, you know, isn't it selfish for Jesus to say he's the only way? That's pretty narrow-minded, but what do you think? Hmm. Jesus did say something, but I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> That's false humility. That's a passiveness. That's looking out to self. See, when you fear sharing the truth because of being perceived as wrong or looking dumb or not all-knowing, which none of your friends think you are, that's not meekness. The unwillingness to make self vulnerable to the claims of truth and the possible need to admit error, that is not the spirit of meekness. It's saying you're wrong, like I'm like you can't even say it. That would be self-protecting and truth-effacing. And I'd be serving my, myself. I'd be serving my spirit of pride under the guise of being above things. 
acting like we don't have a strong opinion on the truth for the sake of fake peace is actually lying and therefore obviously is not meekness. So the question we have to ask ourselves, like each week, is so what can I do to participate to create an environment in my heart and soul where the Spirit can cultivate this fruit? Right? We can't say, what can I do to cultivate this fruit because it's the Spirit's work in our lives. But what part do we play? There's a scripture that indicates that we play a part. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, and all of Paul's letters help these new believers know that they're a chosen people by God's grace, holy and dearly loved. We debate if we're holy or not, right? Because we still make mistakes, but God sees us as saints. And we are truly loved. Here's a to-doing right here. Clothe yourselves with compassion, gentleness, or hum- kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A little bit of overlap from what we've been studying in our series. There's a to-doing here. That there's some part of partnering with the idea of being clothed or, or getting clothing on. The scriptures talk about this, that the old clothes are torn off and new clothes are put on. This is another adoption reference. When we adopted our um, baby Titus, we had um, just a short exchange with the care workers. They brought him to our hotel that we were. We had to take off old clothes, give them back to the orphanage, and put on new clothes. The gospel expression. And so the scriptures tell us to clothe ourselves. We clothe ourselves with righteousness, clothe ourselves with Christ, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what can we do? See, all this shows us so far as that the fruit of the Spirit needs our cooperation, at least, for its development. And meekness comes from having, listen, an accurate view of ourself and knowing who we are and who we're not, knowing who God is and who he isn't. So this is a trust issue. And I think as Scott continues to preach with us and share with us that it seems like trust is a big thing every week. I want to encourage you and challenge you to begin studying what does it mean to trust God? And where are your deficiencies? Because God's not deficient. It's not his issue that we don't trust. So here's how you can partner with the Holy Spirit as he does his work of developing meekness in you. You have to decide where you're at with trusting in God for these thoughts right here that we were created, and that God is the creator. See, that begins by putting us in a position that we don't have to be above everybody. That we are sinners who are in need of a savior, it showcases that we are not um, perfect. And there is one who is perfect, and who, is seek, who sought and saved us. That we need God's help to do any good in this world. That God saved us for a purpose that God is growing us spiritually for his purposes, and that God has empowered us for his purposes. And that last word, empowered then, he's empowering us, he's filling us up with his spirit, which results in these characteristics that God himself has within himself. That's how you begin partnering. You begin assessing who you are and who you aren't and trusting that God is who he says he is and who he says you are in light of Christ being the savior of your life. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we holding on to that just might be impeding God's spirit growing gentleness and meekness in us? See, meekness begins when we put our trust in God and give our lives to his leading and control. And not all of us are interested in that because we have authority issues and we think we're pretty smart. And so what we do is then we commit our way to him. So we we begin saying, God, I want to trust you. I want to give my life over to you, to your leading and control. I get that you get this life better than me. I want to commit my way to you. 
So that would mean that giving over my anxieties, my frustrations, my plans, my friendships, relationships, my jobs, my, my job, my health, my future. Giving it all to him, putting that all on him. What are you holding on to that just might be impeding God's spirit growing gentleness and meekness in you? Is it that you feel like you have to be perfect? Then it's going to get in the way and meekness will not develop. Do you have performance uh, problems where you think that you have to perform so that God loves you? Then meekness will not develop because you don't trust him that he loves you regardless of how you perform. And meekness will not develop. Third point, last one. So first we see that meekness is a power that's willingly controlled, that meekness is found in the life of the Lord, and meekness ought to be found, is to be found in the life of the believer. And there's several little points here underneath here. You can just write some notes down here and consider them this week. The first is this. So how is it expressed? How is it to be found in the life of the believer? The first is that it's expressed in the way that we engage this world. See, in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, Paul instructs Titus to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, that is not quarrelsome, to be considerate and to show true humble gentleness toward everyone. It includes the idea of springing to the help of those that are in need and keeping our own feelings under control. And I can tell you this, that last one for me is rough. And you can ask one of my best friend, Scott. <laughs> but he won't tell you because he won't gossip about me. But it's rough, I'll tell you myself. And by the way, yeah, by the way gossip is, this is extra, gossip is um, confessing other people's sins. Okay. So we see that this instruction is given to Titus, this young pastor, but then we also see it then to James, and J- James instructing believers in James chapter 1. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Scott has preached this message to us before. Continue. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly, gently, in meekness, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. See, as James writes of believers, we are to be slow slow to speak and quick to listen. We become reasonable and open to correction. Is that painful for you, to have someone teach you? Because you feel like you're supposed to know everything? then there's probably room for meekness. See, meekness loves to learn. (laughs) And it counts the blows of a friend as precious, Proverbs tells us. Isn't that the worst? When you have someone that you know is for you and they come to correct you because they see a deficiency in your life or sin in your life or just a social ability in your life and they want to help come alongside you. See, the truly meek person is humble enough to know what he does not know. (laughs) And sometimes that is that we can't see ourselves accurately. Meekness allows someone to teach them. How's that going? A couple examples. Have you ever said you understood something when you didn't? Or you've known something, you said you knew something that you didn't? This happens to me almost every time someone wants to give me directions somewhere. The first church I served at was in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, near Harrisburg, and everything was in reference to the pike. Just get on the pike and turn here. And the pastor there, would, when I was first, first moved there, he would try to give me instructions on how to get different places because I was trying to establish and set up our home and go get license over here and get your license plate picked up over here and do all this stuff. And he would just always say, get on the pike and turn left and get in 501 and get over the... And I would just go, you understand? Yep. And then walk away. It's a small or silly version of that there's a deficiency in meekness. Why can't I just say, I didn't understand a single word you just said. (laughs) 
and you are speaking way too fast, and I am inept. Help me understand. Can you get in the car and drive me there as a brother might? The answer is, loved ones, is because there was a deficiency in meekness. Another example, a friend confronts you, you know that they're right, but you can't own it. Is one coming to your mind? Maybe you think of your parents. We know that parents, a lot of our parents struggle to say, I'm sorry, or I'm, I was wrong. What about yourself? You and your spouse get into spat about um, something that was lost, and you both think the other person lost it, but then when it's found, then you realize that you were the one that lost it. But no one says anything. Mm-hmm. Silly little nothings that reflect something that's true in our heart. A couple more scriptures from James. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility, gentleness, meekness, that comes from wisdom. See, truly wise people are also the people that are meek. Why? Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. These are all marks of meekness. In our daily lives, we cannot help coming to situations that bring conflict with people. When we accept the reality of who we are in Christ and trust the Holy Spirit to help us, we can be gentle whatever, whatever conflicts may arise. Wouldn't that be desirable? <laughs> Do you ever look back and think, I wish I would have been more, you might use a word like um, a little easygoing in that confrontation, more kind. See, contrary to popular understanding, spirit-given meekness does care about the truth and whether others agree. We care that others agree that Jesus is the way believers would. The meek person takes debate and argument seriously. That might surprise you. And it wants to discern its own errors and then forsake them. So we know an example that we know that meekness ought to be found in the life of every believer and it's expressed in the way that we engage the world. And here's another way it's expressed. It's expressed in the way that we uh, confront other believers, other Christians. (laughs) And when have you seen this go well? Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 shares this. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, gently, meekly. But watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Paul tells us that if a man is trapped in some sin, those who are spiritual should restore him gently. So if we are truly filled with the Spirit, we will show gentleness, not harshness, nor condemnation, as we try to restore such a person. When have you seen this go well? We are really clumsy at this, aren't we? At doing it and receiving it. It's painful. See, when meekness reaches out to bring back a person who's been overtaken by sin, it first takes out the log in our own eyes that's blocking our view of ourselves. that admits that apart from the grace of God, which is not earned but freely given through Christ, we would fall to the very sin we're confronting the person for. By God's grace, we haven't. Or we have, and we've been redeemed and reconciled, so we, it affords us the privilege to say, I know what you're going through, and there's a better way. See, the meek person knows their own limits, fallibility, and weakness. Who in your life that God has placed in your sphere of influence is caught in sin and needs desperately 
a person filled with the Spirit of God that has his meekness, that recognizes that they too have uh, fallen to sin and are prone to sin, but God's grace has restored them. Who, who in your life needs that person to talk to them, to confront them? It's scary, isn't it? Because we live in a world that says that um, um, doing that is not meek. Who are you to judge me? I'm a believer, and I'm not doing much judgment. You're doing whatever you're doing right in front of me. We've got to ask God for wisdom on how to do this better. Last one for today. There's several scriptures that showcase this idea of gentleness and meekness, but here's the last one for today. It's expressed in how we share our hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, you might have in your heart, it reads this, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Our hope is Christ, our only hope. There's no one else coming to save us. But you do this when you go to share your hope that you have in Christ and stating that Jesus is the only way, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you go to share that with someone or someones, you do that with gentleness and meekness, not because the truth is fragile, the truth is steady as a rock but it's communicating a heart of gratitude and sincerity and love for the person that is allowing you to speak to them. Because the gospel tells them they're going the wrong way. See, we we're told to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give the reason that we hope they have. But we're supposed to do this with gentleness, meekness, or respect. And it means that we're probably not supposed to do a bullhorn technique where we go into someone's face, um, yes, you are a jerk and you need a loving savior. Huh? Well, yeah, come over here and I'll talk to you. And then you come right into their face. Do you want to follow Jesus? I'm perfect. You're not. Come along with me. Gentleness. Where is the meekness in our attempt? See, we're supposed to give, be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. But people cut it off right there, and they seem to forget this part. A lot of believers struggle this part of, with meekness and with gentleness. Meekness is not the absence of conviction or passion. So don't miss here. Meekness is slow to write a person off. That person will never get saved. So that means you were saved because you were halfway there? That person's so deep in sin that I don't even, it's going to take Jesus plus something else, a long rope to get him out. So you were higher up the pit. and Meekness is slow to write a person off, slow to condemn. That person will never turn around. They profess Christ, but they're long gone. But by God's grace, you're near. And it's slow to anger. Is there work to be done? We need God's help. And the Spirit longs to come through when we yield our hearts, our souls to Him. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly because you allow us to do so and you desire that we would. And Lord, I ask that for each person here, you would cause us to reflect on our own lives. If we are indeed in Christ, if we've submitted our lives to Christ because of his submitting his life to us and for us, 
Lord, I ask that you would help us, by the power of your Spirit, gain an an honest self-evaluation of any deficiencies of meekness or gentleness in our life. And Lord, we ask that you would build that up in our lives. Please, please. Lord, I pray for anyone who has been battling and has been convicted this morning that there's been a failing of of meekness, Lord. I pray that you would enable us, that your kindness would lead us to confession and repentance. That we would agree with you that we've messed up, that we've done wrong in our dealings with others, and that we'd repent of that way and we'd do your style and do your way in our lives. And I pray that each person here would begin a practice of asking you for help to live out your character in this world that so desperately needs you just as we need you desperately. So we entrust these requests to you and ask that you would come through. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.